The FA Cup is a magical competition. Whilst the EFL Cup is limited to the 92 members of the Premier League and Football League, the FA Cup is open to all. Pep's Man City could be met by a trip to the muddy, churned-up pitches of Canvey Island, Whitehawk or Chesham United. Your average Joe gets to face the very best players in the game. Prospects of giant killings, fairy tale cup runs and hometown heroes, as well as a generous dollop of off-the-pitch drama, make this truly one of the greatest competitions in the world. If you're still in doubt, ask Neil Warnock, who once sagely said, matches don't come any bigger than FA Cup quarterfinals. <laughs> Are you a fan of the competition, Ben? Oh, I love it. I love the magic of the FA Cup every year. And what a joy to celebrate some of the nostalgic and obscure names from the depths of football obscurity here on the 11. Those who've starred in major FA Cup upsets or maybe even finals. Um, I've been to several fantastic FA Cup ties over the years, Arthur. I've seen Northampton Town against Northwich Victoria. Uh, I've seen Forest Green against Oxford. I've seen Reading play in the semi-final against Arsenal. Um, all equally as enjoyable as you can imagine. Incomparable, though, to our trip to the FA Cup first round. Wimbledon taking on Geisley Football Club. Yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? There was a womble taking penalties outside at, at before kickoff. Um, it, it really was charming and what an effort from Geisley. Sadly, they couldn't make it past the uh, one-time FA Cup winners Wimbledon, but what an effort. Indeed. And today we're playing a 4-4-2, a pretty classic English formation for the FA Cup. I think it's pretty appropriate. Uh, and if you have any thoughts at home on who you think should slot into this lineup, please do let us know. We are, as many of you know, the word, not the number, at 11 pod. I love how you mixed up the order, Arthur, of our famous slogan, the word, not the number. Love that. We're keeping our listeners guessing every week. Mm. We're changing it up. They might have thought that was a slip from me, but actually it was, it was I'm a well-oiled machine, you know? Yeah, we're keeping them on their toes. Uh, and talking about players on their toes. What about the goalkeeper in this FA Cup 11, Arthur? Who have you gone for? Yeah, I've decided to go for um, a goalkeeper who I think's overlooked, um, given the performance of a certain other player in the 2006 FA Cup final. It's uh, the final that's colloquially referred to as the Gerrard final, where uh, Liverpool beat West Ham dramatically on penalties. But goalkeeper Pepe Reina that day was entertaining to say the least <laughs> I thought he was a great goalkeeper Pepe Reina but you're quite right I I don't imagine him in FA Cup matches for some bizarre reason but of course he's won it of course he has I would say as well Gerard's brilliance in that final would not have been possible without Reina um, it was Reina's fumbling of a shot that allowed West Ham to take a 2-0 lead through Dean Ashton uh, after Carragher's own goal had uh, had put them 1-0 up there was then a Gerard assist for Gibral Cisse. Then Gerard got in on the act himself. I don't know whether I could say he got in on the act for a, a second goal. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll ask Adam Hurry that one. And, uh, and so Liverpool were level uh, with West Ham. And then Rayner craftily allowed Koncheski to lob him with 
what I would say is an audacious cross come shot, but probably definitely a cross. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and that sort of all set the stage for Gerard's low 35 yard volley to equalise in injury time, which was one of the great goals of FA Cup finals, I would say. It was, um, but one thing I would say is we've given this guy a shout out before. What was Lionel Scaloni doing before that drive came in from Gerard? All he had to do was hoof it up the field, maybe even out of play. Um, and his clearance just set up the English great. I, I love the fact that Scaloni inadvertently played a part in that final. Indeed. And I think Scaloni lives rent free in your head, Ben. You just can't get him out of there. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only um, Lionel for me. And then the penalty shootout, I think it's often overlooked that the brilliance of Gerard got them into uh, extra time that resulted in the penalties. But Reina then saved uh, the penalties of Bobby Zamora, Paul Koncheski and Anton Ferdinand to give the cup to Liverpool. It's amazing as well, considering that they had um, Jerzy Dudek on the bench. Obviously, the 2005 Champions League winner known for his um, interesting leg movements uh, in that in that penalty shootout victory. It was probably, if they hadn't used all their substitutes, he was probably a reasonable option to bring off the bench. And thankfully they didn't. That final was just a brilliant final. There's a quote here from Paul Wilson of The Observer. He says, after a decade of dampish squibs, this pairing always felt like a proper cup final with two teams up for the trophy for a change and not regarding the showpiece as an inconvenience or a consolation prize. And I think that's something that in recent years, the FA Cup has slightly fallen foul of. Heavily rotated teams, obviously the bigger teams arriving late in the competition and, and hoping that they won't have these cup sets, as we like to call them. It was just a fantastic victory for Liverpool and Pep Reina is such a key part in it. After 396 appearances with Liverpool... Uh, during which he did appear in another FA Cup final. Um, sadly, he lost to Chelsea in 2012, 2-1. He had a bit of a European tour. He went to Napoli, Bayern Munich, AC Milan, had a brief loan spell with Villa, and is now at Lazio, where I, I saw him play in December. He was playing against Udinese, and uh, it was a four-all draw. And frankly, he was showing every one of his 39 years. <laughs> it, was, it, it was very, very slow to dive, I would say. I, I really did enjoy that brief spell he had at Villa as well. He became a bit of a fan's favourite. I remember him doing some sort of egg video. Yes, it's just a phenomenal lockdown boredom video, basically. <laughs> I Want to Break Free is playing in the background and there are four eggs sitting on egg cups. and as the chorus blares out. The Spaniard emerges from one of the pots, showing basically that his head was one of the eggs. And it's just it's just a very clever video. A fantastic first name on the team sheet, really, for an FA Cup eleven. So left back, I think, is your call, actually, Arthur, again. Correct. Hogging the limelight, two in a row. <laughs> uh, and I've gone for Roger Espinosa, a left back. <laughs> that is a name I have not heard in donkey's years. He's just a, a real character of the game, I'd say, Roger Espinosa. He had a successful spell, actually two successful spells, with Sporting Kansas City uh, in the States. The first stint with them, he played for them 130 times, and that culminated in a victory in the Lamar Hunt US Open Cup. I, I believe that's the FA Cup equivalent in the USA. 
So he won, he won that in 2012. And then he played for Honduras at the London 2012 Olympic Games. Did you, you didn't see him play, did you, Ben? No, I didn't actually see him play. I did see a game at Wembley uh, during that tournament. But you, you're quite right, because I imagine you're going to go on to talk about his time at Wigan. And he was one of four Hondurans, I think they had in their squad. I think they had yeah. Hendry Thomas, Wilson Palacios, Maynor Figueroa and Roger Espinosa at one point. Just a real affiliation with that nation. And I don't really know quite why it was. Whether the manager wasn't Honduran, obviously Roberto Martinez was uh, maybe liking the sort of Hispanic flair. And he, mm. and he saw that in the, uh, in the Hondurans. So he brought them over. But he did sign for Wigan on a free transfer in January 2013. And that potentially was off the back of that London 2012 Olympic Games. He scored and was sent off as they lost 3-2 against Brazil. They'd qualified from a group containing Spain as well. So a very, very successful uh, 2012 Olympic Games for him. And he did go straight into their squad for the FA Cup third round clash with Bournemouth. He didn't play in that one. He played his first FA Cup game that season in a scrappy 1-0 win over non-league Macclesfield Town, which I think (laughs) is quite classic. Uh, FA Cup when it comes to that. Uh, And in that game, he did line up alongside Maynor Figueroa. They were a lot more convincing in the next few rounds. They dispatched Huddersfield 4-1 and they beat Everton 3-0. And then a fiery semi-final defeat of championship side Millwall. I think there was a bit of crowd trouble in that one. Um, Saw them into the FA Cup final against Man City. And it was just a phenomenal victory for a team like Wigan who went into that final as such heavy underdogs they beat Man City 1-0 it was a goal from Ben Watson in injury time they got their unbelievable final victory but then a few days later I think three days later they lost 4-1 to Arsenal in the league and that, that announced their relegation from the Premier League. And, and actually, I did read a little interview from Espinosa where he said that on the day of the final, the owner got them into the team facility and put a cargo bag in the locker room with a million pounds in it and said, if you win this game, this money is all yours. So really odd, to be honest, at Premier League level. But it, it shows you that incentives work even at the top um, of the English game. I would agree with that. And uh, and actually in the game itself, Espinosa was a, a pretty constant threat. He played at left wing back. I would say Wigan played quite expansive football and that often left them quite vulnerable at the back, but they would attack pretty relentlessly. He linked up really well with McManaman, Callum McManaman, that is, uh, and Aruna Kone up front. Um, <laughs> and he actually became this is a bit of a niche stat he became the first player ever to to win the Lamar Hunt US Open Cup and English FA Cup in consecutive years <laughs> <laughs> get him on sports personality of the year I just I just feel that stat is kind of like saying he's the first Honduran whose name's Roger to have yeah. played against Macclesfield it's it like, is comical it is comical bizarre and in 2014, they had success in the Cup as well. They beat Man City again in the sixth round of the FA Cup and reached the semi-final at Wembley um, for the second successive year. Unfortunately, they did lose that one to Arsenal on penalties. And on that run, he scored the goal of the third round. I remember he, uh... it. I remember it. MK Dons, was it? 
MK Dons, they drew three all. Um, and it's, it's a 30-yard pile driver <laughs> from Roger. He's just somehow found himself very, very advanced on the, on the, on the pitch and he's, he smashed it in. So fair play to him. His minutes did dwindle in the 2014-15 season. And so he returned to Sporting Kansas City, which was really his spiritual home by the looks of it. Two very, very lengthy stints there. Uh, and he'd see out his career there. He won the, uh, I'm going to try and say it again, the Lamar Hunt US Open <laughs> Cup. <laughs> uh, he won that two further times in 2015 and 17. And he's actually now married to a player of Sporting Kansas City's women's team. So uh, mm-hmm. that's quite a nice, uh, nice setup. I did find it quite funny reading an article entitled The Many Faces of Roger Espinosa. And it's an article by Chad Smith, who's the editor of the Blue Testament, uh, which is a Sporting Kansas City fan site. And it's just so akin to Phil Jones. He makes loads of absolutely phenomenal facial expressions whilst he's playing. So I'd urge you to check that out. Uh, A superb compilation from Chad. What a guy, Roger Espinosa. Incredible. I mean, uh, looking at his stats, he's played five FA Cup games two assists, one goal, one trophy, and he's unbeaten. You can't say fairer than that, can you? Welcome, Roger. Indeed. And you've got one of the centre-backs, Ben. I have today. um, And I've gone for a player that, for me, encapsulates the magic of a minnow in the FA Cup. Uh, And one of those things is club loyalty. It's few and far between at the very top level. But down in non-league, players stay at particular clubs for a long period of time. And Tony Raines of Sutton United really embodies that. Do you know him? It's not a name that rings a bell, I'm afraid. (laughs) Well, I think few will remember him, but perhaps those that were following football back in 1989 will have fond memories. Uh, He made 724 appearances for Sutton United over his career, making his debut aged 18 uh, in the 1978-79 season. He was at home anywhere in the back four and he played in two uh, title winning sides and the 1981 FA Trophy final. But he will be most fondly remembered for scoring one of the goals in a historic win uh, of FA Cup folklore. The golfing quality was huge when Sutton United hosted Coventry, uh, who were a mid-table Premier League side, but they had top, top players like Brian Kilcline, who's been featured on the podcast, and Cyril Regis too. Uh, Sutton were a conference side who'd gone through the qualifying rounds. The normal capacity at Sutton's Gander Green Lane grounds was 6,000 people, but it was expanded to 8,000 for this third round clash. And Russell Thompson of The Guardian suggested the match would be worth £40,000 to Sutton uh, through gate receipts, sponsorship and media coverage. So by all accounts, it was the biggest day in their history. And unbelievably, they took the lead. Just three minutes before halftime, Mickey Stevens took a corner kick towards the near post. It was missed by Steve Grizovich and volleyed home by none other than Tony Raines. In the second half, Coventry would equalise, but towards the end of the game, Sutton would take the lead once again through Matthew Hanlon and cling on for a famous win. Uh, And reflecting on his moment in the spotlight, Tony Raines said, we kept playing to the end. To be frank, I expected a little more from Coventry. We matched them for 80 minutes. They battered us for the last 10. I don't know how we managed to hold on. 
He was at the time, Tony Raines, working in insurance like you, Arthur. Do you, do you know him? I, I don't, I'm afraid. <laughs> I have to look him up. <laughs> there are some great articles about the professions that those Sutton heroes from 1989 ended up in. Suffice to say, very few, if not many, actually ended up playing the professional game. But Reigns remained close to the club and he was assistant manager in 1999, assistant to his brother, in fact, John Reigns, uh, and earned them a place in the Conference South. He is now a cab driver in the local area, uh, and I'm sure he gets plenty of tips from fans that loved him back in the day uh, and that remember his FA Cup moment of glory. Absolutely. Great to hear about that story, Tony. I have to say, when I had seen you selected a Sutton United player in this uh, in this eleven, I did instantly think about the 2017 Cup run. Yes. Obviously, they got to the uh, FA Cup fifth round in 2017, having beaten Leeds United in the fourth round. Uh, they beat uh, AFC Wimbledon in the third round and, uh, and sadly lost 2-0 to Arsenal in the fifth. But another magnificent performance from that club. It really was. And, and it had a bit of everything, didn't it? It had the star in the making, Rory Deacon. They kept going on about how he was going to make it in the big time. And of course, do you remember the goalkeeping coach who ate the pie? Oh, in the dugout? Yes, of course. The, uh, the betting scandal. That was, yeah. that was carnage. <laughs> Absolute carnage. Sutton United, synonymous with the FA Cup. Uh, and Tony Raines deserves his place. But who will play alongside him? A player from another club that are synonymous, I feel, with the FA Cup. It's Chase Town's Chris Slater. <laughs> Chase Town! <laughs> what a club. I would say he had a remarkable career, actually, with Southern League Midland Division side, Chase Town. <laughs> um, <laughs> it all started in the 2005-06 FA Cup, where... They earned a one-all draw in the first round with League One Oldham to earn a replay that they sadly lost, actually. But I feel with when it comes to Chris Slater, uh, the run I'd like to draw your attention to is the 2007-8 FA Cup. Eighth tier Chase Town had made it through to the first round proper. They dispatched sixth tier sides Cambridge City and Nuneaton Borough, uh, the former in extra time of the replay, and the latter in a surprisingly comfortable 2-1 home victory. Round one was pretty routine against Team Bath. Uh, and then they had a plum tie against League One Port Vale in the second round. Eight minutes in, Luke Rogers, who incidentally, this is an interesting link, was the future New York Red Bulls strike partner to Thierry Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was Luke who gave Port Vale the lead. Chasetown hit back, though, as Mark Branch's 40-yard free kick eluded everyone and snuck past the Port Vale goalkeeper, forcing a replay. Chasetown boss Blakemore allegedly gave a strong team talk to his players. Uh, perhaps if you've got children is, um, in the room... Can I just sorry. ask, Arthur, is Blakemore like a Brazilian international that just goes by a single <laughs> name? I, can't, I don't even know what his first name is. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the heady days of Romario, Rivaldo when, and Blakemore. When you look up the uh, travails of Chasetown, there are quite a few sketchy details along the way. And so we're just going to stick with Blakemore for now. If you are Blakemore, please do get in touch and tell us your first name. So his team talk was pretty strong. Perhaps if you've got children in the room, you should cover your ears. 
Well, you should cover their ears, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> How selfish. He said, they've come here, full-timers, playing on their fucking PlayStations all day. You've done a fucking day's work. Don't let them fucking take the piss out of you. So that was the gauntlet that Blakemore <laughs> laid <laughs> He's obviously learned that in the favelas of Brazil. How do you know, Ben, that his name isn't Blake Moore? (laughs) Remarkably, Luke Rogers missed two penalties in five minutes. And in the dying minutes, Danny Smith found the net to win the tie for Chase Town and set up a tie with championship side Cardiff. If the incentive of scouts watching and potentially getting life-changing contracts off the back of the game wasn't enough. Virgin Holidays decided the day before the tie that if Chase Town were to beat Cardiff City, they would offer all the players and coaching staff free flights to anywhere in the world. Wow. Which is a pretty good... Uh, that rivals the sack of cash. Do you know yeah, what I mean? that's, that's an incentive like no other. For our man, Chris Slater, it was a chance to prove Dave Jones wrong after the Cardiff manager had released him at Wolves earlier in his career. Uh, after failing to find a club, Slater had come back to his hometown uh, to become a bricklayer and play for Chase Town. Wikipedia lists the ground's capacity, it's called the Scholar's Ground, at 2,000, but the 2,420 fans sardined in saw their side incredibly take the lead in the 17th minute, a Kevin McNaughton own goal separating the sides. The, I remember Kevin McNaughton for having grey hair from the age of 20 or something, I think. Yeah, he, he did. Certainly premature. Yeah. Sadly, quality shone through, though, as goals from Peter Whittingham, Paul Parry, and a 17-year-old full debutant, Aaron Ramsey, won the game for Cardiff, who would go on to be losing finalists that year to... Uh, a team that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> Chris Slater actually got a professional contract out of the game. Uh, Port Vale, of all places, signed him. Uh, he was only there for two seasons, though, before returning to Chase Town for the rest of his career. He has made 587 appearances for the Scholars across several stints since 2003. Uh, and he's now 37 and in a coaching role at the club, but he still plays the occasional games and hopes to break the 600 game barrier at the club. I love the fact that after that um, historic clash, Cardiff and Chase Town have retained a really, really good relationship. Cardiff invited Chase Town down to play them in their first ever match at the Cardiff City Stadium, and they gave them 600 seats from their old ground, Ninian Park. Uh, as well which is a real nice I'd say that's a classy touch really nice and I love those stories of players going back to the clubs that release them and leaving their mark on the game Uh, Slater and Reigns that's a wonderful centre-back partnership indeed and who have you got at right back then well someone I think you will know well Arthur I've picked Danny Butterfield oh excellent pick it's great to see Danny in a in an 11 Yeah, you probably remember watching him uh, during his time at Southampton, but also Exeter City, where we were at university. Uh, I always thought of him as quite a reliable right back. Yeah, I think he was pretty reliable. He he was fighting with Fraser Richardson at right back for the role in the Saints side. When he was at us, he was quite far on in his career. Yeah. Um, But I do remember him being very, very reliable. Solid option at right back. 
Now, don't worry, I'm not going to surprise you by telling you that he's actually won the FA Cup. He hasn't. But certainly if we remember him as a reliable right back, we might be surprised to hear that he was once, or on one occasion, a prolific centre forward. This was in the FA Cup fourth round replay against Wolves. Um, It was back in 2008 uh, when the then championship side in financial freefall, this is Crystal Palace under Neil Warnock, had injury woes up front. Neil saw something that nobody else had seen and decided instead of playing a young player from the academy to play Danny Butterfield up front for the replay. Come the day of the game, it had actually been over two years since Butterfield had scored a goal. That came back in 2008, so we're in 2010 now. Uh, And incredibly, he would go on to score not one, not two, but three goals in a Crystal Palace win. I remember this actually quite fondly. Wasn't it a perfect hat-trick? It was a perfect hat-trick. I'll describe it blow by blow. Goal one. (laughs) Darren Ambrose pinged a driven cross towards the penalty spot. It was met with a powerful header by Matt Lawrence. Wayne Hennessy reacted smartly in the Wolves goal, uh, but he could do nothing to prevent Butterfield nodding home the rebound, having jostled with Michael Mancian in the process. Then a little while later, goal two, a long punt upfield found the bandaged head of Alan Lee, who held off his marker and flicked on to Darren Ambrose. His first touch set Butterfield free, uh, and he resisted a last-ditch tackle from Richard Stearman to prod home past Hennessy's dive. Some great names in this description. Yeah, Richard Stearman. God, I haven't heard that name in a long time. (laughs) Goal number three to complete the perfect hat-trick, and it was another Lee header which dismayed the Wolves' defence. Butterfield snuck in between them, profiting from their lethargy uh, and bounced a neat left-footed finish between Hennessy's legs. Uh, He actually commented after the game, Danny Butterfield, I think the only reason I was up there was because I played as a centre-forward in a -a five-a-side two or three days before and scored some goals. He said, Neil was like, why not? And he certainly took his opportunity. So just for that great moment in the Butterfield career and the Butterfield household, I think he deserves a place in the FA Cup 11. Maloney takes, and it's in! It's Ben Watson! It's Ben Watson for Wigan Athletic! They've surely won the FA Cup! So it's time for the halftime entertainment. Let's get out the oranges. We'll take a break from the eleven. And as we approach the third round proper of the FA Cup, uh, taking place on the weekend of the 7th, the 10th of January 2022, I thought it would be a good idea to check in with My Road to Wembley. This is a brilliant website that helps fans find both their nearest club and the games being held nearest to them in the FA Cup. And I think it's a really good way to um, be able to identify with your local proper grassroots club and see whether they have a bit of a run in the FA Cup. So I was very happy to catch up with Tom Nicholson, who's their co-founder. How are you doing, Tom? Very well, Arthur. Thanks for having me on the show. You're very welcome. I just thought it was important to draw attention to the many rounds that we've had in the FA Cup so far. There are six qualifying rounds, as I understand, so two preliminary 
four regular qualifying rounds and we've had mm. two rounds of the competition proper. And so just before this third round starts, can you give us an insight into any of the players that have shone so far? You're completely right in the tournament of the FA Cup begins in kind of mid-summer, mid-August. So uh, certainly at least a couple of these players uh, were playing on warm evenings across the country. Um, so my first player is Sol Solomon of the Jersey Bulls. Great. And he is just 19 years old and is a pacey winger. And I should say that this is also Jersey Bulls' first ever FA Cup. And they began the uh, tournament this year with a thumping uh, 10-1 victory over Horsham YMCA. And Sol Solomon quickly caught the eye of a lot of admirers uh, across the country and became at one point the leading scorer of the entire tournament. Uh, and he, I think now he's sort of currently second. He scored nine goals just behind Adam Boyd of Mask United with 11. But really, his outstanding moment in the early rounds came against Sutton Common Rovers in, the, in a second qualifying replay where the Jersey Bulls were 2-1 down at half time, but came back to win 3-2. And it was a back-heeled clip half volley from Sol Solomon that won the game. And you can find this goal on, online if you look at it. And that's been admired by a couple of, uh, of England players as well. So definitely, if you remember the name, he should be playing in the higher leagues at some point soon. Unbelievable. So shades of Gianfranco Zola with a uh, back heel clip. I love hearing about stories like that. I think he sounds like a real star for the future. And Jersey Bulls, I think ninth tier of English football. So it just gives you a, a real insight into the level of teams that start up in that competition. And for them to get to the, the third round of qualifying and so nearly in the competition proper is pretty amazing. Have you got any other players? Yep. So our next player is um, a 22-year-old goalkeeper from Mask United called Ryan Catterick. He actually only joined the team from Hartlepool last season. But during the round, which began again back in August, they began in the preliminary round, Ryan Catterick kept a clean sheet for every single one of those rounds until midway through the second half against Gateshead in the fourth qualifying round replay, which tallied up to 573 minutes, just shy of 10 hours wow. uh, and six, six and a half games without conceding a goal. And we were kind of looking at the records, thought this must be the kind of record for the FA Cup. But he, although he's not the, the top he now currently stands as the third in that list of, of the, the longest anyone keeping a clean sheet in obviously his 150-year history. So he's now etched into the history of, of the tournament for all time. That's unbelievable. What an achievement for such a young goalkeeper as well. I think he's only 22 years old and actually single-handedly sort of dragging Mask United through to... Did they make it to the fourth qualifying round? That's right. Yeah, no, I, we were, my road to Wembley was at the first game versus Gateshead, which they drew 0-0, went to a replay 
and they lost that uh, just just lost that three two. Um, Fantastic performance from Ryan Catterick. Definitely looking out for him in the future. And um, on to your third player. So the third player is um, from Kidderminster Harriers. And uh, hopefully those who follow the tournament so far will know that they are also in the third round of the FA Cup to be played in January. Now, this will be their seventh match having begun the FA Cup in the second qualifying round against Sporting Culza. But the player we've gone for is Ash Hemmings, who at the age of just 30 is now at his 13th club. So he's been a, he's been a bit around the houses, but uh, he scored the winner in the first round proper against Grinsby and also scored uh, against uh, Halifax to send them through to this crunch tie uh, against Reading in January. I think from Ben's perspective, he will be seeing that as quite a terrifying banana skin potential. I think Kidderminster Harriers are the lowest ranked team left in the competition. They're in the National League North. So very much a non-league team facing Reading, who are themselves in a bit of trouble. And I actually did see as well that Ashley Hemmings has four caps for England under 17s. So was a big player in his youth. And hopefully he will come back to sting Reading. Or perhaps not if you're a Reading fan like Ben. Tom, thanks so much for introducing us to three players who've starred so far in the FA Cup. Hopefully we've got a competition ahead of us that will give us lots of thrills and spills and get some surprises along the way. Thanks very much for having me on and, and I hope to see a few of the, uh, the round hoppers at games rest of the season or perhaps next season when the tournament starts again in August. Oh, that was wicked. Thank you, Tom. Um, a banana skin, Kidderminster Reading? Yeah, I would say 100%. Yeah, I'm very scared going into Confidence. that weekend. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I've got the left side of the midfield as we continue with our 11. And uh, I'm going to name quite a well-known player, Dennis Wise. Oh, what a name. I yeah. thought he was more of a centre midfielder. Well, you Did he have right. a stint? Yeah, you're quite right. In, in his time at Chelsea, which is potentially what you'd think of most most commonly, uh, he was, of course, a kind of nippy centre midfielder, a bit of a terrier-like approach, nipping at the heels. Uh, but when he started his career, he was seen as a winger, uh, and that was at Wimbledon, which I'm going to go on to talk about in a moment. One of the things about Wise, um, there are several incredible FA Cup records. I mean, Ashley Cole, seven FA Cup wins. That's the best in history. Um, but Dennis Wise is up there. He's won three FA Cups across two different teams uh, and made another final appearance as a player manager. In 1988, um, the FA Cup was won by the crazy gang, Wimbledon. It was a fantastic FA Cup final, won by a team that were kind of the likeable villains of the game. Uh, they were dirty, they were tetchy, they were almost anti-football, uh, but there was something quite charming about the fact that they were an unexpected winner. Wise moved to Wimbledon uh, in 1985 at the age of 18 on a free transfer uh, and made his debut under manager Dave Bassett. Uh, and during the autumn of 1985, he was loaned to Swedish non-league club Grebbestats IF. So if that's anything to go by, um, he wasn't seen as the next big thing. 
Yeah, that's another, did he really play there? That's completely bizarre. What a great loan. Did he thrive there, Ben? He did well enough to get a place back in the Wimbledon side when he returned from his loan spell and he helped the club gain promotion to the first division in 1986. He played a key role as Wimbledon romped to the 1988 FA Cup final. Uh, on March the 12th, 1988, he provided the free kick from which Brian Gale headed in the clinching goal against Watford. That got them into the semi-finals. In the semi-final match against Luton Town, he scored the winner uh, in a 2-1 victory. And he did also play an influential role in defeating heavy favourites Liverpool at Wembley um, containing winger John Barnes and then supplying the cross from a free kick from which Laurie Sanchez headed home the winning goal. He moved to Chelsea in 1990 and transitioned from this winger to more of a midfield dynamo uh, and then captained the Chelsea team to a 2-0 win in the 1997 FA Cup final against Middlesbrough. Uh, He then captained them to their second FA Cup win in three years as man of the match in a 1-0 win over Aston Villa. You might remember the Roberto Di Matteo goal in that one. Uh, Before signing for Millwall in 2002, before becoming player manager in 2003. Millwall were the first team from outside the top flight to reach the FA Cup final since Sunderland in 1992. He helped them all the way to the final where they would lose 3-0 to Manchester United and he'd bring himself on as a bit of a last-ditch attempt um, to make a sub just before the end of the game to say he'd played there. Do you have fond memories of Wise? I have memories of Wise at Southampton, (laughs) which were interesting, to say the least. When he signed for us in, I think, 2005, we were Mm. down in the championship. He was pretty aged, to be fair, by that point. And I think actually... Possibly our oldest outfield player ever, still, maybe. I'm unsure about that. A phenomenal midfielder. And actually, it's great to see someone who's thrived so much in the National Cup. Uh, 11 goals across his career from midfield in the FA Cup, which is pretty extraordinary in only 59 games, to be honest. One every six is uh, not too shabby. I would paint a picture that... Dennis Wise was always seen as a bit of a lovable rogue or even a pantomime villain to opposition fans. And I like this piece um, by Gianfranco Zola, where he talked about his relationship uh, with the diminutive midfielder. Good book, Franco, asked Wise one day. Yes, yes, very good, came the answer. Good ending, persisted Wise. Yes, answered Zola. A month later, Wise handed Zola something. This is yours, he said, before walking away. And a puzzled Zola looked at the pages of the print for some time before the penny dropped. It was the final chapter of the book that he'd failed to understand the ending of. (laughs) (laughs) So classic training round banter there. Zola said he did have a love-hate relationship with his captain, um, although this quote kind of sums it up. 95% of my language problems are the fault of that stupid little midget. So a great relationship between the two. Um, Let's move to the centre midfield. Arthur, who have you picked? I really could not overlook Ronnie Radford. I had to go. Classic goal. A classic goal. And it's a goal that really defines the magic and romance of the FA Cup. Really, the stage was set when non-league Hereford met Newcastle in an FA Cup third round replay 
1972. The first leg was exciting enough. It finished 2 all after Hereford had taken the lead 17 seconds in and equalised, actually, after Newcastle took the lead through a 25-yard strike from player-manager Colin Addison, uh, which is dramatic. Um, but uh, what the FA Cup's all about. And Newcastle then travelled to Hereford's ground, Edgar Street, for the replay. Newcastle were a solid mid-table Division One side. The skies were grey. The pitch resembled a roughly ploughed field. It's just classic FA Cup. Interesting, the BBC were covering the game uh, with then 26-year-old, it's hard to consider him that young, John Motson on trial as commentator. Man! <laughs> yeah. He actually said of the game later in his career, not only was it a great day for Hereford, it was also a great day for me. That win against Newcastle helped make my name as a commentator and helped me get where I am today. I feel like I owe a lot to Hereford for that giant killing. I've dined out on them often over the last 30 years. That's mental. I bet he was still in one of those iconic fluffy coats. Yeah, classic Motson. And actually, that giant killing, it's a phenomenal moment in FA Cup history. The match itself was a tight affair. Hereford defended heroically and their goalkeeper, Fred Potter, made excellent stops on more than a few occasions. And the pressure finally told when Newcastle took the lead in the 82nd minute. It was Malcolm McDonald who headed in at the far post. Ronnie Radford then tore up the script with a truly astonishing equaliser in the 85th minute. He challenged John Tudor for the loose ball. It's absolutely a 50-50, but it's the kind of full-blooded challenge that would probably get a red these days, such as the way the game's going. He then played a 1-2 with Brian Owen and rifled the ball into the top corner from all of 35 yards. It's just such a great goal. And it's made, in my mind, even better by the fact that the pitch is just an absolute quagmire. Really? And his connection is so good, considering so many bobbles must have been at play. I think what's interesting is the goal is often mistaken for being the winning goal. Um, It was actually the goal that forced extra time. Radford who was actually a part-time carpenter by trade. Uh, He also had a hand in the winning goal. He found Dudley Tyler on the right, who hit a powerful pass to Ricky George, who took a couple of touches, turned and scored in the 103rd minute to win the match for Hereford. For many years, that Radford goal was part of the match of the day opening titles, It was voted goal of the season by the programme at the end of the season. Radford said of that goal, it sat up just right. I didn't think about the distance. I just thought, I've got to hit this. It could have gone in the car park, but it didn't. (laughs) And that's the goal that just made him. He didn't have a, a successful career, but everybody knows him for that goal. Do you want to hear a fun fact about that Radford goal, Arthur? Please. It went in the top left corner, right? I think so, yes. He was aiming for the top right. Was he actually? Yeah, he admitted in an interview sometime after that he was actually aiming for the other corner, but his boots were so clarted in mud 
it came off his boot slightly wrong and went in the other corner. That's so, pretty um, much like me whenever I play football. I intend so much and I just do exactly the opposite. And sometimes <laughs> it comes off, in which case I say I meant it. But uh, good yeah. old Ronnie. Well done, Ronnie. Ronnie is in and alongside him, someone else who made his name in the FA Cup, really. Brian Howard. Oh, Brian Howard was, um, he played for Reading, didn't he? He did play for Reading. You're absolutely right. He was an irritatingly cumbersome midfielder in my experience, but also highly technical. He was tetchy and determined and he had a decent long range shot. He would actually be a bit part player, to be honest, for Reading, but a fairly successful time when we got to the playoff final and lost to Swansea under Brian McDermott. He would score in the FA Cup fifth round for Reading against West Bromwich Albion, a brilliant curling winner, which put Reading into the quarterfinals for the first time since 1927. Uh, But it wasn't that iconic goal that I was picking him out for. It was actually one during his time at Barnsley. He would play 121 times for the Tykes, scoring 27 times between 2005 and 2009. And he'd be captain for many of those games. That season, uh, so this is 2008, Barnsley would reach the semi-finals of the FA Cup. In the fifth round, Howard scored a 93rd minute winner to beat Liverpool 2-1 at Anfield. Liverpool had led through Dirk Cow before Stephen Foster levelled for the outsiders. And in stoppage time, Howard latched onto Sammy Hoopier's clearance, took the ball away from Xabi Alonso and fired a shot past Jamie Carragher's challenge. It was a magical moment. Do you ever remember watching the highlights of that game? I don't actually remember watching the highlights. I do remember that cup run. It was an extraordinary tournament that obviously it was Chase Town's finest moment as well. But Portsmouth against Cardiff City in the final. It's just a very unusual tournament. And to have teams like Barnsley in the FA Cup semi-final is is fantastic. I do remember... Brian Howard as an incredibly good um, midfielder, someone when he was at Barnsley, who I was casting envious glances across at. I was hoping we could sign him. I didn't really realise that he was the scorer of that incredible late winner against Liverpool. Well, he kind of mentions words along those lines, Arthur, because he said, I scored 15 goals from midfield that season in the championship and was championship midfielder of the year but people always remember me for scoring against Liverpool. So he looks back on it with a certain degree of resentment, um, but setting up the likes of Coyote Odajayi um, <laughs> was really the peak of Howard's career. And he would stutter at, at Reading and Sheffield United and Portsmouth, never playing in the Premier League where he felt he belonged. The most random move of his career, though, <laughs> and wait for it, was to Phoenix Club, CSKA Sofia of Bulgaria. <laughs> That's completely bizarre. It was what a stint. It was bizarre and disastrous in equal measure. Um, he basically didn't get paid. He said, first you don't get your wages on time, then you don't get paid at all. I was meant to have a car in my contract, my apartment paid for, but I never received the money, so I had to pay the rent myself. I never got the car, so I was having to pay for taxis everywhere. And my wife was supposed to be moving over, but it was so chaotic that I told her to stay put. It didn't take me long to realise I'd made a big mistake. But to be fair, that 2013 CSKA Sofia side that he played in also included Martin Petrov. Maybe not too surprising given he's Bulgarian. 
but also Mamadi Sadibi. <laughs> Stoke City legend. Yeah, right? such an yeah. eclectic group. What a great crowd. Oh, I'm sh- it's a shame it didn't work out for him. I think it's brave to make a move to Bulgaria to a, a Phoenix club like CSKA Sofia. Um, <laughs> so uh, well played to, to Brian. On the right side of the midfield, uh, I've gone for another player for a real minnow of the competition that we kind of held in our hearts for a year. Uh, and that name is Alfie Potter. Okay, again, this is this is not ringing many bells, but I guess really? that's the point. That's the point of this feature to, uh, oh. to to bring in names to the collective conscience. To be fair, Alfie Potter was one of the first names I thought of, and I think the reason is this iconic commentary clip. Wilkinson spreading the play to Smith. He'll keep this in play. Decent delivery as well, away by Skirtle, only as far as Wilkinson. And chance now for Potter to put them back in front. And it's in! Sensational! Well, I never forget Alfie Potter. He really is Harry Potter. And he's conjured up something that seemed an impossibility. He has given Havan to Waterlooville the lead for the second time. I love that piece of work. He was a tricky little midfielder who came through the ranks at Peterborough and Wimbledon Youth Academies. Um, and his senior career started with modest loan spells with Kvinnersdal uh, and Grey's Athletic. But the significant breakthrough came at the age of just 18 when he signed for Conference Southside, Haven and Waterlooville. It was an incredible FA Cup, this one, 2007 to 2008. That's when Potter made a name for himself. Um, and in the first round, Haven and Waterlooville beat York City, setting up an unprecedented third round draw by beating Knotts County 1-0. Media pressure was all on the club you mentioned before, Chase Town. They were the lowest ranked team ever to have reached this stage of the FA Cup. Uh, so haven't were somewhat going under the radar uh, when they got a replay against Swansea City. A 4-2 home win against the Swans would then be the most significant in Haven and Waterlooville's history and set up an iconic fourth round clash at Anfield. Haven and Waterlooville led twice in a humdinger 5-2. Richard Paquette opened the scoring, a non-league journeyman, before Alfie Potter's deflected strike in off Martin Skirtle put them back in the lead. Potter mentioned about this. It was all a bit of a blur, really. I picked up a header, had a shot and tripped over. I looked up, but it took forever to get into the net. And when it got there, I didn't know what to do. I just got up and ran and I didn't really want the ball for about five minutes afterwards. I just wanted to sink in what had happened. He swapped shirts with Gerard after the match. He won the FA player of the round and he was called back immediately to parent club Peterborough the day after the game, which is a bit of a shame, really. He didn't get to sort of soak <laughs> it all in with his Haven and Waterlooville teammates. It's rare that players who star in FA Cup runs are loan players because there they are sort of I don't think they have the lifeblood of the club running through their veins they've not got that affiliation uh, that you know full-time contracted players have and so for him to see Liverpool really as a, a stage upon which he could perform and to score humiliating 
Martin Skirtle in the process. I think it's a it's a pretty um, it's a pretty good one. He uh, he is still playing Alfie Potter. He plays for Oxford City, and throughout his career, he has had spells in the football league with Oxford United, Wimbledon, Northampton, and Mansfield. So he did all right for himself, Alfie Potter. He found his way. So as per usual, we have an up for grabs position. And today that is striker. We'll have some nominations a little bit later. But alongside that up for grabs is John Stead. John Stead. <laughs> Great. <laughs> what a guy. He had a lot of early career promise. He had spells at Premier League sides Blackburn and Sunderland. 11 England under 21 caps. There followed championship stints with Sheffield United, Ipswich, Coventry, Bristol City. And finally, after nine years and seven clubs, he returned to his hometown of Huddersfield. That really saw Stead into the final years of his career before dropping further down the pyramid. Essentially, it's a career in reverse, like a few other 11 players we've had. His move to League One Bradford on a two-year loan from 2013 to 15 was to prove the catalyst he needed. In particular, his FA Cup run with the Bantams in the second of those two years. Stead had already scored in each of the opening three rounds of the 14-15 FA Cup when Bradford were drawn to play Jose Mourinho's Premier League leaders and champions-elect Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge. It was seen from the outside as a really easy Chelsea win. Uh, There were 49 league placings separating the two clubs, uh, and Mourinho wasn't even leaving things to chance in front of over 41,000 spectators. He played 11 first-team regulars, including Czech, Oscar, Drogba, as well as, interestingly, a young Mohamed Salah as well. Five minutes before half-time, the script was being followed to the letter. There were goals from Gary Cahill and Ramirez, and those saw Chelsea 2-0 up and cruising. Uh, A few minutes later, a rare Bradford attack saw the ball cut back for a lurking John Stead, who unleashed a left-footed thunderbolt into the top corner. (laughs) It's a shot with such power. Uh, Czech got a strong hand to it, but it essentially knocked him over the line. It was so powerful. (laughs) Wow. Former Chelsea player Felipe Moraes got the equaliser, which was a great moment for him. Mm -hmm. And then Stead turned provider-in-chief. He got two assists in the final 10 minutes as Bradford completed one of the FA Cup's historic giant killings and comebacks. It's not often you see a giant killing that is a comeback. It's often they take the lead and they cling on heroically for them to actually go two nil down and recover against Chelsea was phenomenal. They bought Hazard off the bench. They bought Willian off the bench. Mourinho tried everything, but uh, Bradford heroically clung on. It was an incredible day. I do remember that fondly. Um, And one particular supporter took their love of John Stead to another level, setting up a Twitter page on his path called John Stead Facts. Uh, and this includes posts along the lines of, as a child, John Stead made his parents go to their room. So <laughs> if you do love John Stead as much as this guy, check it out on Twitter. And while you're there, check out at 11pod, the word, not the number. 
he's a striker who I just always I, I just think John Stead as well as just a phenomenal name for like a journeyman striker. <laughs> Very FA Cup. And I love having John Stead in this 11. Nice nomination, Arthur. He is going to be partnered up front by someone who is up for grabs. Um, as per usual, we've got a fantastic guest to submit a nomination. Arthur, I think you arranged this one. I did indeed. It was Ian King, who's a writer for Football 365. He has made a great nomination. So here we go. The player that I've gone for is Keith Houchen for his goal for York City in the last minute of an FA Cup match against Arsenal in January 1985, played on a frozen pitch, Bootham Crescent. It was a last-minute penalty after he himself had been brought down way off the ball by uh, Arsenal's Steve Williams. And uh, York were in the third division at the time. They'd won the fourth division, I think, the, the year before. And although... A couple of years later, he would go on to do considerable damage to my own team, Tottenham Hotspur. In January 1985, I had no idea that that was going to happen in three and a half years' time. And thoroughly enjoyed his last-minute penalty for York to beat Arsenal. Oh, Keith Houchen. Phenomenal shout. And actually a, a real, a real cast-your-mind-back-to moment there. Um, thank you so much, Ian, for nominating that. Please do check out his writing on Football 365. And he's got a great Twitter account as well. Lots of quite funny posts. So uh, <laughs> thanks again. And Ben, you've got a nomination today as well. Yeah, I didn't feel like we could let this episode fly without this story, which is perhaps the most 11 story that's out there. It's become somewhat famous did you ever used to look at teletext or CFAX when you were younger, Arthur? Of course. I used to browse the transfer rumours page yeah. non-stop. Well, thankfully, so did Roy Essendo's agent. This is an incredible story. Um, Essendo began his career at Motherwell when he was 18 years of age. Uh, and following a short spell at East Fife, he moved to Finland to play for VPS Vasa until the turn of the new millennium when he returned to the UK. And this is where his FA Cup story started. His agent responded to an appeal on teletext by Wickham Wanderers manager Laurie Sanchez looking for a fit non-cup tied striker. And having invited Essendo for a trial at the club, Sanchez liked the look of Essendo and named him on the bench for the FA Cup quarterfinal between Wickham Wanderers and Leicester City. And not only that, he would bring him on to score a last minute winning header and dump Leicester City, the Premier League side, out of the cup. It, it's just the most charming story imaginable. Not only that Wickham Wanderers made the semi finals, but also that the goal was scored by someone who was sourced on teletext of all places. It's just brilliant. Great usage of the teletext system by his agent. And for it to all end so romantically, I think is a great thing. Did he have a successful career with them after that? Or was it pretty much just that game? <laughs> Unfortunately, it was just that game, Arthur. He would play 12 more times for Wickham without scoring a goal and get released when the injured strikers returned to fitness. Um, playing much of the remainder of his career in non-league with Bishop Stortford, most notably. And he's now a personal trainer in Cambridgeshire. Oh, very good for him. 
And who else will you nominate for our Twitter poll, Arthur? So I've gone for DJ Campbell. Oh, yes, of course. I remember him in the FA Cup. Was it Hayes and Yedding? Hayes and I think it was Yedding at the time. Just I think it's Yedding. now Hayes and Yedding, okay. um, but it was Yedding. Do you know what DJ stands for? No, I don't. Disc jockey? <laughs> His name is Dudley Jr. Dudley, oh, what a great name. <laughs> Dudley Jr. Yes. sounds like he might have been playing out in Brazil when Blakemore was out there. <laughs> So true. And it was actually the 2004-05 FA Cup for Yedding. In the first round, he'd scored the winner in their 2-1 victory against Hales Owen. In the second round, he'd scored a brace as they beat Slough 3-1. And that set up a plum tie against Newcastle in round three. They did lose 2-0, but they had held out impressively for 50 minutes uh, without conceding against the Premier League side. Uh, with the game broadcast to millions on BBC One. And that's where I saw him, certainly. And Campbell caught the eye of the onlooking fans and scouts. He had scored seven goals in that cup run, and it brought his career to life. He had scored 65 goals in 88 league games for Yedding, um, but hadn't stepped up a level. And Brentford were the club to give the then 24-year-old his first chance in professional football. Uh, From then on, he flourished. He scored 12 goals in six months, including a double in the 2-1 win over Sunderland in the FA Cup. And that earned him a move to Birmingham City, who were then in the Premier League. He went on to play for clubs such as Leicester and QPR as well. But undoubtedly, his most successful season was 2010-11 with Ian Holloway's Blackpool in the Premier League. Mm. He scored 13 league goals, even as the Tangerines were relegated. Um, which I think is a phenomenal achievement for DJ Campbell. Sadly, his career has somewhat petered out or did peter out. Interesting to find a striker who gets the leg up, gets the recognition from the FA Cup as a small club put together an incredibly good run. And that form is sustained throughout his career. Love that shout. Please do head over to Twitter. We're at 11pod, the word, not the number. Uh, And it's your turn to vote for the final space in our FA Cup 11. So on the bench, we have a few players. First of all, you can't discuss an FA Cup run and not mention Ashley Cole. He's won the FA Cup seven times and played in a total of eight finals. He just seemed a little too well known to feature in the 11 yeah. ahead of Roger Espinosa. Yeah, so... I think fully justified that. <laughs> so we didn't go for him. Uh, also, Dave Besant, the first to save a penalty in the FA Cup final. That was in 1988. A worthy shout too. Any names that you picked out, Ben? Yeah, another goalkeeper, Paul Jones, back in 2005. He kept a clean sheet against Manchester United for Exeter City. uh, And that was a game that Cristiano Ronaldo played in. So to run us through our FA Cup 11. In goal, we've got Pepe Reina. Left back, Roger Espinosa. Centre-backs, Tony Reigns and Chris Slater. And right back, Danny Butterfield. Left midfield, Dennis Wise. Centre midfield, we've got Ronnie Radford and Brian Howard. And right midfield, Alfie Potter. And up front, John Stead will partner someone of your choice. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 